Our second reading comes from the book of Amos, the seventh chapter, beginning with the seventh verse. Let us continue to listen now for a word from God. Amos speaks, saying, This is what the Lord God showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, What do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, Look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed, and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. The message said this, Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words, for this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will surely go into exile, away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer! Go back to the land of Judah, earn your bread there, and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel, because this is the king's sanctuary, and this is the temple of the kingdom. Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd. And I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go, Amos, prophesy to my people Israel. Now then, hear the word of the Lord, Amaziah. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the descendants of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city. And your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up, and you yourself will die in a pagan country. And Israel will surely go into exile, away from their native land. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Today's sermon is titled, As Ones Without Authority. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we each walk through a door this day, a door out of our homes and into this space. Whether we knew it or not, we are seeking some word of hope. We are seeking some evidence of your love in this space, in this place. So here we are, God. Unsettle us, open us, move us, call us to those places and those people where you would have us go. Indeed, O God, we pray that through these scriptures read, through the words of my mouth, 
and through the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here in your sight this day, that they might be pleasing. For you and you alone are our God, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. Fred Craddock, that giant of late 20th century, early 21st century preaching in America, once told the story of the time that he was invited to give the opening invocation at a gathering of Christian men in the 1970s on the campus of Purdue University. As it happened, there was another person invited to speak at that gathering as well, a nominee, a candidate for president of the United States named Jimmy Carter. And so as is the case, whenever someone of that stature shows up anywhere, all the requisite security followed. Fred was given very specific instructions about where to go and when to be there. And so on the morning of the gathering, he parked his car in the appropriate parking lot and he walked down the right path. He went past the main doors to the auditorium and found the door he had been told to go to, the stage door for that facility. And there he was met by a young man in a dark suit, presumably Secret Service, who had a clipboard with photos and descriptions of all those people who had been approved to go through that door. Fred identified himself and the man checked his clipboard and after a few moments he opened the door to the stage and he waved Fred through. On the other side of that door there was another young man in a dark suit and the first agent yelled to the next, Craddock, he's harmless. That's the story. I've always loved that story for some reason, though. I've never found it in any of Craddock's sermons. I've never seen it in any of his books. I just happened to hear it a long time ago listening to a recording of a lecture he gave in the 80s at Furman University. And it's just stuck with me. Like so many of his stories, I think the reason it has stuck with me is because it plucked a chord somewhere deep within. And the chord that it plucked for me was a question. That story has always made me wonder. It makes me wonder even now what that agent would say about me, would say about any of us. If we walk to a door, a metaphorical door in my mind, one that is the door that opens up to life, if you will, to the real world that exists beyond these four walls, and the identity that we gave to that person guarding that door was follower of Jesus Christ, what would the one person yell to the other? Got another Christian here, harmless. That pokes me somewhere deep inside. What would they say? Because when I read stories like our story this morning, the very last word I think anyone would ascribe to the prophet Amos is the word harmless. If Amaziah, this priest at Bethel, And let's be clear, Bethel is not some pious temple of the ancient world. 
the temple at Bethel is essentially a state-sponsored deity. Any cleric who goes running to the king of the place that he rests to report impropriety is someone who probably is not worshiping Yahweh. If Amaziah had been guarding the door that day, Amos showed up with a clipboard that had all the faces and pictures of those approved to come in and those not, I think Amos's face would have appeared at the very top of the do not enter list. There would have been warning flags all over his description. And the reason is this, the 8th century world, 8th century before Christ, The 8th century world that Amos and Micah and some of these other prophets are preaching and prophesying in is one of great disparity. On the one hand, this ancient world was marked by extreme prosperity. There were people in this world living lavishly. But on the other extreme, at the same time, the prosperity of a few in the ancient world at that time came at the expense of many. Some of you here might remember when Brennan Breed, who is a professor of Old Testament at Columbia Theological Seminary, my alma mater outside Atlanta, came to spend a weekend with us a few years ago. He specializes in the prophets, and he spoke to us that Friday night about the prophet Amos. And he showed us photographs from archaeological sites, places we can go visit today if we wanted to. And on these sites, there are two different distinct time periods you can go and look at. You can go way back thousands of years and find a community that they have dug out of the dirt that dates back to the earliest years and centuries after Israel emerged from the wilderness and settled in the promised land in Cana. And what you see in this photo is an archaeological site that is marked by little dwellings all about the same size that form a circle. And in the middle of these dwellings is a pit that would have been the pit for the olive press, one of the most important tools for people in that place and at that time for their own wealth and for their own survival. The olive press existed in the middle of the community. People shared what they had, in other words. And then on these same sites, you can walk a few meters, a few yards, and you can see a community that dates several hundred years beyond that earliest community. You can find one from approximately the 8th century BCE. And what you see in this photo are not little dwellings about the same size in a circle. What you see is a single villa, a giant footprint that would have had big walls around it, And can you guess where the olive press was? Inside those walls. And on the outside of this one big villa were these little lean-to structures where the people who served the people inside the villa would have lived. And the point that those pictures make is the point Amos is preaching towards in this passage. Indeed, it's preaching towards throughout his whole life which is that the tribal family system that God had set up when God led Israel into the promised land, over time has been perverted. It has been disturbed. It has turned into this this class system 
where there is a wealthy few and a poor many. And Amos is there to preach to those people a message like this. Amos is there to tell them that God cares and that God has something to say. This passage reads as if Amos has shown up at the stage door to the real world of the 8th century BCE. And he is there to show God's purposes. Amos has come to confront those who are benefiting from these systems that have emerged. Those people who are holding tight to earthly power, to earthly prestige and wealth. And what Amos has to say is not necessarily anything they want to hear. You see, what Amos is preaching is not harmless. What Amos is preaching to these people, people like King Jeroboam and Amaziah, are things that threaten their way of life. Things that threaten what they enjoy, what give them comfort. I love Amaziah's report to the king. The, the land, he says, can literally not bear what Amos has to say. These are disruptive words Amos is preaching. And so Amaziah does what humans do when we feel threatened. He goes back to Amos and he tells him, get out of here. Go back to your home, to the southern kingdom, the land of Judah. This is the king's sanctuary, Amos. Don't you know that? This is the king's temple. Go back where you're from. And he says this. This is my favorite part of the whole passage. Go back to where you're from and earn your bread and do your prophesying there. You see, Amaziah assumes that Amos is a professional prophet. Amaziah assumes that Amos has his own reasons for doing this. He's earning some bank by telling the people that Amaziah serves that what they're up to is no good. But Amos, Amos isn't a professional prophet. Amos responds by saying, I'm no prophet. I'm not even the son of a prophet. I'm a shepherd. I tend trees. You think I wanted to be doing what I'm doing? Are you crazy? You think I have any background, any resume to lend some credibility to anything I'm saying to you? Get out of here. You see, Amos' soul integrity rests simply on his courage to speak the truth that God has spoken to him. To speak the truth that he finds in the scriptures of Israel. The world that he is preaching to is a world that is on fire. It is a world full of people who are neglecting common humanity, get this, in the name of religion. People are stepping into the pulpits of Israel and they're quoting scripture to keep the people down. Amos is preaching to a world full of otherwise good and decent people who nonetheless have moved the markers of compassion in their hearts in order to accommodate a way of life that tramples on the needy and brings ruin 
to the poor. The world is on fire. And God sends a shepherd? God sends an immigrant from Judah, the country on the southern border of the mighty Israel? The world is on fire. And God sends a person. God sends people who have no resume, who have no experience, who otherwise have no real reason to be doing what God calls them to do. The world is on fire, and God calls the stay-at-home parent. God calls the teacher. God calls the businesswoman, the bus driver. The world's on fire, and God calls the attorney who spends all day dreaming about retirement and the retiree who spends all day dreaming about the past. God sends the bricklayer and the roofer and the landscaper. God sends the store clerk and the custodian world's on fire and God sends children, children in preschool making art and God sends octogenarians on hospice. The world's on fire and God sends people with their whole lives planned out and people who spend each day wandering though they are not lost. God sends the kind of people that the world would otherwise take one look at and declare harmless. Craddock sort of blew up onto the scene a few years before that invitation to speak at Purdue. He published a book in 1971 called As One Without Authority. It's a book that is still considered by many homileticians and teachers of such things, for who cares, one of the most important texts on preaching in the last hundred years. In this book, as one without authority, Craddock lays out a framework for preaching that is built upon the premise that God alone has authority to command who prophesies and who preaches. God calls individuals, in other words, from all walks of life. And so the preacher's job is not to stand up here and tell you what the point is and give you three reasons to support it. Rather, the preacher's job is to take hands with the listeners and walk through the text and try and arrive together at a mutual insight into who and how God is speaking through the scriptures. Ones without authority. Amos is one without authority, a mere shepherd. We are ones without authority, mere parents and attorneys and retirees, mere older people and younger people. We are ones called to preach and prophesy though we have no authority. So, friends, I wonder this day, what is the story that we are called to reveal? When we stand at the threshold of the doors of this church today, 
in that moment, right before we step across that threshold, out into the real world that is beyond these walls, what will they say about us, about our faith? What will they say about you, about your faith? Will they cry harmless? Will they find a person whose faith, in other words, has little to say about the world it occupies? A belief system that does little more than simply return us back week after week to the same spot, comfortably unchanged and utterly unmoved? Or will they look into your eyes and say to the other, here is a follower of Jesus Christ. Here is an ordinary person sent to prophesy about a God whose love is so deep, whose mercy is so wide, whose compassion is so terrifyingly disruptive, harmful, if you will, that when it showed up and looked the world in the eye, the world looked away and hung it on a cross. Will they find a person who lives in a world like that, a world on fire, and yet someone who drinks from the well of hope, the eternal well of hope that teaches us that though the fire runs hot and the flames reach high, they will neither burn nor consume us? Will they find a person who teaches who preaches, who prophesies good news like that. Friends, fellow ones without authority, soon, very soon, we will stand at the door. What will they say about us? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.